welcome to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio, the official podcast of hardcore bowhunters. From the latest archery equipment and expert shooting advice to proven bowhunting tactics and the sport's biggest personalities, we've got you covered. Now, here's your host, Editor Christian Bird. All right, welcome back to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio. We are the voice of bowhunting, and as always, we're thrilled that you've taken some time to be with us today for another awesome conversation about bowhunting and uh, technique and adventure. Today, I'm really looking forward to the show because I've got... Uh, a, a brand new friend on the show, uh, somebody that I made contact with through the the magic of social media, and that is uh, Sarah Stover Gamash, who is perhaps better known as the PNW Huntress. Uh, she hails from the great state of Washington and just pursues all sorts of uh, uh, great things out there. Sarah, welcome to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And thank you for pulling me aside when we ran into each other at the ATA. Yeah, awesome. you, it really was. It was great to meet you. You know, it's funny these days, social media has become such a part of all of our lives. And there are certain people, and you are one of them, who I don't know in real life, or at least didn't know, right, until the ATA show. And you just kind of, uh, we say, get to know, you know, know in quotation marks. We don't really necessarily know them all too well. <laughs> but you, you become familiar with certain people, don't you? And when I was walking down the hall at ATA, uh, I happened to look over and I saw you and it just immediately set off a buzzer in my head. And I was like, I know that woman uh, <laughs> for, from my Instagram feed, but I don't know her, but I'm going to stop right now and say hi. And uh, so we actually met there in Indianapolis uh, in January. And, and then it, it was neat just because, you know, we were able to follow up and say, let's get you on the podcast and, and talk. And so you know, it's, it's going to be a great conversation today, and you've got a lot of exciting things going on. Yes, like I said, thanks. I'm glad that you came up and approached me. That was a that was a great show. That was my first time going to the ATA, and it is funny because you know people will come up to you and they know they know your Instagram handle, so they'll be like you're PNW Hunches, but you don't don't necessarily know the person's name. So that was one of my favorite parts about getting to go to that show is getting to meet everyone learn what they're doing and then, you know, kind of fostering a relationship out, outside of just the social media arena. Cause I think there's a lot of good things that comes from that. Oh, for sure. You know, we knock social media a lot, of course, in, in today's society, you know, everyone loves to complain about the ills of social media, but the truth is it gives, it gives you an opportunity to interact with people who share, you know, common values and passions that you'd never have the opportunity to do otherwise. So I'm glad we were able co to connect and, and, you know, it's neat for me too, because I got to say, we don't get a lot of time of people from your part of the country, you know, uh, interacting, you know, on our show for sure. I, I don't think it's been a long time since I had anybody from, um, you know, Oregon, Washington, that part of the world. And so um, you guys have some great stuff to hunt up there that is kind of unique to, to your neck of the woods. And I know that you do quite a bit of it. So I'm looking forward to hearing more about that as well. Yeah, definitely. As long as you can get past the rain that we have over here in Washington, it's a pretty darn good state aside from that and definitely does have some great hunting. So uh, primarily the biggest difference over here that we have is the blacktail deer and then the Roosevelt elk. And those yeah. are my two, my two main things I'm after every year. For sure. And you are, you know, a pretty big time bow hunter too. I know you told me, you know, just before we started the show, you've been hunting since you were 11 years old. And I don't know how long you've been bow hunting, but uh, I, you told me that you actually ended up getting your husband into the outdoors as well. He wasn't a hunter when he met you. So there was a little bit of a maybe opposite of what we normally ex expect. You know, we all hear a lot about women who will start hunting, you know, because their their partner hunted, but in, with you guys, it was the other way around. Right. Yeah. So I started hunting um, at age 11, rifle hunting, because my dad got me into it. And so at that stage, I mostly did it to spend time with my dad. Can't say I was successful right away. I don't think I shot my first deer until I was like 19. 
So at the beginning of my hunting journey, it was just to spend time with him. And then as I got older into high school is when I started solo hunting. And at that point, I, I wasn't really good at any other sports. You know, all my girlfriends were like playing soccer and basketball and I'm not coordinated. I was horrible at sports. So I was like, I got to figure out what am I going to do? And so I, I stuck with the hunting thing. And actually, when I shot my first deer at 19, I was by myself and that was a black tail. And then it, it was just so rewarding. It was something I knew I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Um, so I continued doing it. And then when I met my husband in my early 20s, you know, he didn't have a dad that took him out hunting. I'm starting to realize, you know, the more people you meet, that is how most of them get into it. It's like it's a family tradition. And so him not having a dad to, to take him out show him how to do those things, it, it wasn't that he wasn't interested in it. It's no one ever taught him. So I was like, well, if we're going to get married, that, that's going to be a lifestyle of mine. And, and so I want you to come along with me and enjoy the journey. And so he has, and he actually was very successful very quickly. Um, and he started out rifle hunting too. And then um, I got my bow first. And that was not too long ago. Only two years have I been bow hunting, but I became so obsessed with it that I think he figured, okay, I think I have to get a bow now to try to keep up with her. So now he bow hunts as well. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I know that another thing that you had mentioned to me, which was interesting, you had mentioned earlier, you know, that you got into solo hunting. And I definitely want to talk more about that. And one thing that you and I had talked about just briefly is the fact that your your husband is in the army and he's gone like eight months out of the year. And so you've actually, you know, really had the opportunity to dive into a lot of these solo adventures that you've done, you know, not only because it's something that you enjoy, but maybe, you know, partly out of necessity because, you know, he wouldn't be around to go with you, you know, even if he, even if he would have wanted to. So thank you, first of all, for his service. And then, you know, maybe just talk to me a little bit about how, you know, the solo stuff that you're doing, um, do you not only, you know, becoming a better bow hunter, but do you find it helpful to you in just coping with the fact that maybe he's, he's not around as much as you'd like him to be? Yeah, I definitely, it's just funny over the years, how my, how the rewards that I get from hunting are different. And I would definitely say now that him and I are married and he's gone so much, um, the biggest thing I get out of it is it's like a distraction for me. It's something that I can, um, you know, just completely divulge myself into and it acts as a distraction and kind of keeps me going during the long deployment, gives me something to look forward to. Um, it is still a struggle, even though it's solo hunting because we have two young children. So when he's gone, I don't have anyone to help take care of my kids. So if I want to go hunting, I have to find a babysitter. Um, and last year, I actually hired a live-in nanny to come live with me to help me take care of my kids so I could go hunting. And it was quite the experience and it actually paid off. I was able to get my Roosevelt bull in the late season, but I put in a lot of time, a lot of effort. And um, unfortunately, it's a little bit of the sacrifice of my kids, you know, like I said, having to be babysat by someone. So that's another huge struggle when he's gone. And so even when he is home, I wouldn't say we get to hunt together because we're kind of trading off where he'll watch the kids so I can go out and then I'll stay and watch the kids so he can go out. So it's never easy, I guess, whether he's home or away. Yeah, it's uh, I was thinking even when you just said about hiring nanny, I was like, well, wait a second, you know, you're going to you're going to get even people like me in trouble where, you know, both partners are around and my wife is going to hear that and she's going to be like, well, you're always hunting, too. I mean, like, I think we should hire a live-in nanny so I could get some help, you know. (laughs) So I don't know if I want her to listen to this episode. Um, Yeah. Tell me about the. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say the best thing to do is just once your kids get to the age where they can hunt, you just take your kids hunting with you. My kids, um, my daughter's going to start hunting with me this year. So she's eight. So that's my goal is I, I mean, I don't want to have to leave them at home. Obviously I want them to be in this lifestyle too, so that I can raise them how I was raised and hopefully they continue to hunt for the rest of their lives. So that's our goal in the long run is not to have to hire a nanny that the kids are going to be doing it with us. Yeah, that's awesome. So you got a daughter who's eight, and then your other one is a boy or girl? Um, my son, he's five. 
Gotcha. Eight and five. Yeah. Fun, fun ages. My kids are 14 and 16 and they do hunt uh, with me, but they, they also, you'll find when you get to those teenage years, they have a million other things going on too. And so between running your own personal taxi service that you'll be running and trying to go hunting, it'll still be, (laughs) it'll still be challenging. Um, Tell me about Tell me about this Roosevelt elk that you got last year. So you had you had your your nanny helping out with the kids and your husband was away. Did you actually go out and get that bull all on your own? Yeah, I guess I have to maybe correct myself because I keep forgetting we're in 2021. So I did get one last year for 2019, but I got one in 2018 as well. So I got two Roosevelts two years in a row. It was the 2018 one that I hired the nanny for. This last year, I didn't have to. My husband was still gone. But um we own some property. So basically what I, I, I public land hunt and then I also hunt on property that we have. So how I kind of swing it is I keep an eye on my cameras. I do a lot of scouting and I wait and see if any elk come into our property. And if they do, then that's where I stay and that's where I hunt. If I'm not getting any action on my cameras, then I go out and I public land hunt. And then that's when I'm going to have to get the, the babysitters. So for, um, for both these last years, I was lucky enough to get the elk on, on my property and um, out of a blind. And so 2018 was with a muzzleloader and then uh, 2019 was uh, with my bow. Well, that is awesome. Congratulations. Talk to me. You know, I've, n- I've never hunted the Roosevelt elk. I've only ever hunted Rocky Mountain elk. And I know that uh, from just what I've talked to other people, you know, the articles that we've read in the magazine, I mean, they always say that the Roosevelt elk are so challenging because the terrain is so thick and it can be hard, you know, to even see them when you're really close. And, um, you know, maybe sometimes um, they might not tend to be as vocal as the Rocky Mountain elk. Talk to me a little bit about, you know, the, the area where you're hunting, what you see as the main challenges, you know, to getting it done there and some of the tactics that you use that you found to be successful for you. Yeah, the terrain is definitely a lot different. I mean, we're dealing with like really dense forests, really tall, thick underbrush, um, so that, that is correct, especially for, for bow hunting. That's a huge challenge. Um, and, and steep too, like having to climb an elevation. There's some good spots that I have on public land, but they are not easy to get to. And that's probably why they're good spots is because there's no other hunters that are, you know, putting in the effort to get to those areas. Um, and, and there, and there is a lot of hunters, like everyone is out there after them. So there's a lot of pressure on them. And that's also what's, what's pushing them more into these heavily dense areas. So yeah, you definitely have to have some tactics. Um, definitely calling in the early season. They are pretty vocal. You, I mean, you've got to know what you're doing. You've got to be good at it. I don't personally know how to call. So if I do want to hunt the early season, I, um, I'll take someone with me like my brother, have them do some cow calling for me. That, that is something I will say that I want to learn how to do. When I have time, <laughs> it's on my list of things. I got lucky um, in the late season. Uh, a tactic that I use, at least what I did for 2018, is after these bulls go through the rut and have a hard rut, they will generally go back to where they were during the early season where the food is plentiful and where they can go off and kind of replenish and get those minerals and everything back in their system after the rut. <clears throat> so with my bull last year, I paid it or 2018. I paid attention and did a lot of scouting and had cameras up year round to figure out where he was going. And of course, during the rut, he disappeared. They travel, they, they go miles, you know, during the rut. So I didn't see him for a long period of time, but as soon as that rut was over, he came back and I, I put a mineral block out and he was, he would sit and lick that mineral block for half hours straight. Cause he was, he was a herd bull. So he was completely just depleted and that's what they do. They'll go off for, you know, a week, two weeks at a time and, and be by themselves and just try to um, get everything back that they lost during the rut. Gotcha. So, um, yeah, that's 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 an interesting uh, tactic on that one. And so you do quite a bit with the elk and, you know, you should just get out there and try calling. I mean, I would think that's the best. I'm, I'm not a great elk caller by any means either. And I don't do a lot because I don't get to elk hunt as much as I would like to. But, you know, just, you know, it's just like turkey calling. 
sometimes you don't have to be the greatest caller in the world to get them to come in, you know, and I would think yeah. just, just giving it a try and learning by, you know, succeeding and failing even more so, you know, and so what if you, you end up spooking a couple of elk, um, there'll be some more, you know, another day. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, you just gotta, that's what I would say. Like, just, just go for it this year, you know, this next fall, just be like, no, I'm going to do my own calling. And if I screw it up, I screw it up, but you'll be probably surprised at how well it works too. I hope so. Yeah. I have, um, Joel Turner. He's a good friend of mine and he's like a world champion caller. And I, you know, I have him at my disposal. I feel like I need to take advantage of that, but he has a technique, um, a call that's a bull calling cow that he swears by. And he actually took a really nice uh, Roosevelt last year with that technique. And so that's definitely something that I am interested in learning more about. Now you mentioned the black tails earlier. Do you guys have white tails in Washington too? We do in Eastern Washington. Yes. Which I've never hunted the East side of the state. I live on the West side and we don't have any here, but black tail hunting, that is just a whole nother can of worms. Um, it is, nothing like whitetail hunting. You can go literally weeks hunting every day, eight hours a day and not come across the black tail. They're so elusive. Um, they, they don't, um, they're usually on their own. So it's not going to be where you see three or four bucks together at all. At any point in the year, they're always, even if there's doe, there just might be one or two of them together. And then w once again, back to the terrain and the density of the forest, that we hunt, they're, they're just so hard to find. Um, and you mostly have to spot and stalk, you know, we don't like tree stand hunting. That's not really a thing here in the Pacific Northwest for black tail. So you got to get on the ground. You got to um, do some major scouting, find their bedding areas, find their major trails. And they are tricky animals. <laughs> it definitely sounds tricky because, um, you know, like you said, yeah, that's definitely different than, whitetail hunting because I would be disappointed if I didn't see deer, you know, just about every sit that I go out, you know, to, to hunt. So this, I, you know, definitely going, you know, days or weeks without seeing an animal would be a, a big change in, in and of itself. And then, you know, the whole spot and stock thing and in really thick cover, that definitely sounds challenging. You know, it's not like, doing it in the wide open, you know, on the prairies for mule deer or antelope or something like that, where you can at least find your target from a good distance away and hopefully use the the terrain, you know, to move in. Uh, you might be pretty close, I guess, to one of these things by the time you spot it. And then you've got to figure out how to close the distance with all kinds of loud sticks and bushes and things like that to, right. to get in position. Yeah. So is yeah. that something... Do you do quite a bit of blacktail hunting? I do. I You can just get, you know, an over-the-counter tag here in Washington, so I get a tag every year. Um, it's just definitely become more challenging once I've switched to bow hunting because with rifle, you know, we have some good clear-cut areas. You'll see deer out in the clear-cuts and, like, the reprod and stuff, and with a rifle, that's no problem. But then once you switch to bow hunting where you have to close the distance, that's going to be a whole different ball game. Um, I did get uh, my first black tail with a bow. Um, so that was 2018. I'd only had my bow for about five or six months. I put in a lot of time, a lot of practice, a lot of nights or I would, I'd be out shooting for hours and it's like getting dark and my husband's like, get in the house. What are you doing? Like you've been out there all day. Um, and so then I was able to get my first black tail and I felt like that was like one of my biggest accomplishment accomplishments as a hunter was getting that with my bow. And then, and then 2019, obviously my Roosevelt. So felt pretty good about those things, but I put in a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, congratulations to you on both of those. Now on the black tails, the antlers on those don't tend to be quite as big as white tails, right? Correct. So they grow like a mule deer's. Um, would, but they're much smaller. So that's another thing. I think that's probably why blacktail hunting isn't um, that popular. Well, besides the fact that there are not very many areas, obviously, but people just have really no desire because of how hard they are to get. Like I said, you go days without seeing one and then their antlers 
are the smallest, you know, of the deer species around here. So, um, yeah, to get a nice, a, a good black tail, you know, a, a good four by four would be a, considered a very good black tail. Yeah, you just answered the question I was going to ask you, though. So good. So I was going to, because I was going to say, yeah, what's a good blacktail buck? And um, I tell you what, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I would actually love to get one because it's just something that I've never done. And to me, I think it would be cool over the course of my bow hunting lifetime to say that I get, um, you know, every deer species that you could shoot, say in North America. Yeah. So absolutely, it would be it would be fun, and and sounds like it would be you know a pretty awesome accomplishment to get it done too. So I'm gonna put it on my list, Sarah. Even if not everybody okay. else wants to come to it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, well, when you're ready, get a hold of me, and we'll we'll figure something out to help you get one. Yeah, that would uh, that would be fun for sure. So. You know, interestingly, I guess, you know, like you said, you've only really been bow hunting for a couple of years, but you've done quite a bit in a short period of time. I was going to ask you about your equipment a little bit. You know, I'm looking on your Instagram feed here. And again, folks, if you don't already follow Sarah, she's a good follow. You definitely want to do that. It's PNW underscore Huntress. And looks like you're shooting Bowtech stuff, at least on the compound side. Uh, is that still what you're using? Tell me a little bit about your setup. Yeah, I did get the Ivashaki series um, Bowtech, and when I went in to the archery shop, I didn't know one single thing about bow hunting. I'd never touched a bow in my life, and so they just said, you know, how much do you want to spend? Do you want to target shoot? Do you want to hunt with it? Um, and so they gave me what they suggested, and it's been a great bow. I love it. I started out at 43 pounds, and then over the first few months worked my way up to 50 which for the limbs I had, that bow is maxed out at 50. Um, and then what I am wanting to do is increase my poundage. I want to go up to 60. So that was one of the nice things about when I was at the ATA is that you can walk around and shoot all the bows. So I went around and did that. And I'd have to say the ones I was most impressed with were the PSEs. And so I'm thinking that for this year, I might switch <laughs> over to the, there was the carbon stealth air that I shot there that had just an amazingly smooth draw cycle. And I think it was, um, 60 pounds. And so that I think might be my, my new bow for the year, but I don't have it yet. <laughs> so gotta see. And then, um, I'm also switching over to the recurve to try to do some hunting with that. Don't ask me questions about the recurve because I'm not going to know anything. I have Joel Turner helping me with that. He's put that bow together for me that I've been using um, the recurve where I just go over to his house whenever we're both available. And he's been giving me lessons on that. But he is um, hoping to get me good enough with that to where I can hunt in Africa with it, which I have a trip coming up in, in June. So I'm hoping if I put enough time in practice and get enough coaching with the recurve, like I did with the compound that I can be as successful as quickly, but it's a, it's a whole different ball game. They call it a struggle stick for a reason. I'm learning that <laughs> quickly. Oh, it's definitely different. You know, I do, I do some shooting with recurve, you know, recreationally. I've only ever hunted with it. Um, really on one hunt, which was a hog hunt down in Florida. And I did manage to get a hog killed with the recurve, but I still just awesome. feel, yeah, thanks. And, but I still, you know what it's like. I mean, when you shoot the compound and you've put your practice in, you really have a pretty good idea of where that arrow is going when you release the string. And with the recurve, it does, it's a discipline and a, it's a skill, a craft in and of itself. And I just haven't, dedicated the time that I would need to before I would feel comfortable saying, yeah, I'm going to go try and shoot, you know, a big buck or a bull elk or something like that. Because the last thing that I would want to do is end up, you know, making a bad shot or something like that. So um, I, right. I give, you, give you all the respect in the world, you know, you're putting that time in and uh, I, I'm sure it's absolutely something you can do. I wouldn't doubt you for a minute. And, uh, you know, truthfully, I, I mean, I guess I believe I do. I believe it's something I could do too, but I haven't made that commitment. And like, you know, everything in our world, you know, when it comes to hunting, bow hunting in particular, it's just how much of a level of a commitment are you willing to make? 
take and then doing everything that it takes to see that through to completion. And and certainly when you go from the compound to the recurve, you're upping that commitment level uh, exponentially. Right. Yeah, I 100 percent agree with that. I I um, have to wait for my husband to get home and I think it'll free up some time for me. And I've kind of been holding off on completely obsessing over it. Like when I got my compound, like I said, I obsessed over, I was out there every night shooting for hours. I went to the archery range. I went to every 3d local tournament. And so once I got proficient enough with that, I'm like, okay, I kind of, I want another challenge and I want to go through that process again. And I remember when I told my husband, I'm, I'm switching the recurve. He was just like, Oh God, here we go. I, he's happy. He's excited for me and he's super supportive, but I can just hear it in his voice. He's like, Oh, she's going to devote her whole world to this. But you know, you're right. That's what you have to do. You, you owe it to the animal to make sure that it, when you let go of that arrow, you know exactly where it's going to hit. And then it's a good clean kill shot or good clean shot. And that, um, that's important to me. That's extremely important to me. So if I say I'm going to take it to Africa, but I don't, commit to it and I don't find the time and I'm not good enough, I won't take it. Like I, I'm not just going to be flinging arrows out there and hope for the best. Like I, I have to be confident. So we'll, we'll see. I get there. Well, I wish you the best of luck with it. And uh, I know that uh, one thing's for sure, you won't, uh, you, it won't be for, for lack of, um, you know, experience or comfort over in Africa, because one thing that uh, I had picked up on um, through your social media account is that you've already got some experience bow hunting over in Africa. And you had gone, I think for the first time uh, this past year, and you're planning to go back again here in 2020. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. So I went last July. So that was about, I got my bow in March. So it was about a year and a few months of owning a bow that I took it over there. And I, um, yeah, I shot three animals with it, um, very successfully all, you know, one shot, one kill, they only went 40, 50 yards at the most. So, um, going again this year, in fact, we'll probably go every year. My husband and I thoroughly enjoyed Africa. I was on the fence about it. Cause when you go, you know, hunting elk and deer your whole life, and then you're like, what is there to like about these African animals? I don't even know anything. I can't even pronounce half their names. And I didn't really know how I felt about that, but we did it. I had a good opportunity that I felt I needed to take advantage of. And once we got there, we just absolutely fell in love um, with the country, with the owners of the, you know, safari company we became very close with. And it was, it was more than just the hunting, you know, it's the overall experience. So yeah, we're looking forward to going again. Um, my husband, he, he deserves some credit. He had only, you know, just picked up a bow too, and he shot the uh, world record wildebeest with a bow while we were there. <laughs> so, well, you guys don't like to ease into anything, do you? So, tell me about what you, what. Um, so, your husband shot a world record wildebeest, and did he did he kill anything else just for good measure? Yeah, oh yeah, he did. He got um, an impala and what else did he get? He got a um, springbok. There's a couple that he got. We and we didn't hunt together when we were there either. We were we were separate. We were in two different um, areas. But yeah, we we both were successful and had a great time. And and so for this year, I'm actually going to go over for two weeks. So I'm going to go to the Northern Cape the first week. I'm going to travel over there by myself. And then he's going to meet up with me the second week and we're going to go to Limpopo. So that's going to be a province that we haven't been to yet. Some different animals that we'll have the opportunity to hunt there. And so we're looking forward to that. So you didn't mention, you you said you got three animals when you were over there last year, but you didn't actually tell me what they were. So what, what had you gotten um, on your trip? So I shot, well, three animals with my bow. So with my bow, I got the white blessed buck the impala and the sable which the sable was a spot in stock and that was a really fun hunt and then with the rifle i shot the um the kudu and the springbuck and then the red heart of beast with the rifle and so that was hunting with the rifle that was because the property the concession um that we went on they didn't have it set up for bow hunting so i kind of didn't have the option to shoot those with my bow but 
my goal always when I'm doing these trips is to exclusively hunt with my with my bow. So, so as you head out uh, or look ahead rather to the um, the trip that you'll do here this year, do you have some particular um, animals that you have in mind of kind of making a goal to get here during this uh, safari? Um, I want to get a gems buck, and then honestly. I'm just kind of going to go for whatever comes into the blind because I'm going to be trying to use my recurve. So that's going to be a whole different ball game because those animals are on edge when they come into a watering hole. Like they, you know, string jump so bad or duck the string that with a recurve, you know, that arrow flying a lot slower than what it would be if it was a compound is going to give them a lot more time <laughs> to duck the string. So that'll be interesting. Um, so whatever I'm able to get, I'm going to be extremely, you know, grateful for when we're there. But yeah. not uh, eventually over the next two years, my goal is, is to get a Cape Buffalo. I don't know that there's any woman that's gotten a Cape Buffalo with a bow. I'm going to have to obviously have a completely different setup for that. I'm going to have to get up to 70 pounds. So I've got a lot of work cut out for me if I want to continue, you know, to have that be a goal of mine. I'm going to have to get in the gym probably, <laughs> get some strength up. When I was pulling back those PSEs at the show, the 60 pounds, you know, it has like the 85, 90% let off. I was pulling that back pretty easy, the 60 pounds. So if I can get 10 more pounds, get a really heavy arrow, um, that's my goal. So we'll see. <laughs> Well, I, I'm confident that you can do it uh, and that if you set your mind to it, you will. I mean, um, of course, where this is all audio, so people, you can't see Sarah. You'll just have to take my word for it. Sarah is is a young, uh, healthy, active person, and if she wants to draw 70 pounds, I know that she'll be drawing 70 pounds, you know, within a short order. So I'm not going to bet against you on getting that Cape Buffalo, that's for sure. Um, you know, let's talk a little bit more about you know the industry and how you got started with this whole um social media platform and everything you know it was interesting even just um hearing you tell me well you know i i got this eva shockey bow and now i think i'm going to switch you know maybe to pse it was kind of refreshing because a lot of the people that i talked to within the industry of course have sponsors for everything and so they're typically just using one particular brand and it, it's neat to talk to you as a relatively new bow hunter you know you've got a fair bit of experience under your belt now but you haven't been at it all that long i'm assuming you went in just like a regular person and actually bought this bow that you've been shooting and and you're thinking about buying another one i'm like wow like you know she people aren't just sending her bows although i'm sure if you know somebody from psc listens to this episode and they want to send you one you won't tell them not to you know maybe they ought to get you signed up but um yeah i know you have some involvement in the industry and you've got some partners that you've worked with but um you know that's probably still developing for you so tell me how you know you went from this 11 year old girl who liked to hunt with her dad to getting your first bow and now you know a couple years later you've kind of got this growing significant social media following you've got some relationships in the industry how did this all evolve um, honestly, like I kind of avoided, I always had a Facebook page, but I kind of avoided Instagram forever. Like social media was never really a, a big thing. I'm so busy. I just didn't have the time to dedicate, but finally got on Instagram like two years ago and I got on there and I saw all these other girls on there, like these quote unquote huntresses, you know, there's a huge thing for that right now. Um, and I was like, well, that's crazy. Like they have hundred thousand people following them because they're posting some hunting pictures. I'm like, gosh, I've been hunting my whole life. I've got hundreds of hunting pictures. I've shot a ton of animals, but I just never even knew that that was a thing that you create a profile and you put your, you know, your pictures of your successes up there. And then all of a sudden all these people start following you. It was just like this revelation to me like, Oh, well, I, I guess I could do this. And if they're doing it, I could certainly do it. So I created a page and just kind of posted pictures from throughout my life of different, mostly local hunts, like just hunting here in Washington and some of my kills. And then, yeah, quickly started getting people recognizing it. Um, 
And as far as getting in with companies, I, you know, had them kind of reach out to me, finding me on Instagram, asking if I want to try their products. So they're one of my things is I don't want to be one of those girls who just promotes everything just to promote it just because they send it to me for free. Um, I truly want to stick with companies whose products I already use or, or like you said, like that, my Bowtech bow, they did not give that to me. I'm not sponsored by Bowtech. I went out and I bought that. I love the bow. It, you know, I've had great success with it. So anything I say about that bow or videos that I put up, is from true experience. It's not because I'm being paid. It's not because I got it for free. And that, that's kind of how I want to keep it. There are definitely some products out there that I'm extremely passionate about that have worked well for me, like my broadheads that I use. They're a small company out of Arizona called Fallen Trophy Broadheads. And I love those things. And I promote the heck out of them. But it's, it's because I buy them and I like using them and they work well for me. And so... Um, yeah, as far as just trying to continue my journey into the industry, you know, going to the ATA show, that was part of why I went there. I kind of wanted to see what it was all about, um, meet with other companies, see what possibilities there are, look at products, look at new up and coming. Like I said, those bows, it was awesome to be able to go around and, and shoot all the different ones. And maybe I'll make the switch to PSC. Um, that definitely looks looks like um, what I'm going towards right now, but I'm just excited to see where it keeps evolving to. I, I have some big plans this year. I've got a lot of hunts coming up and looking forward to making new partnerships along the way. What is your main goal that you would like to do within the industry? In other words, um, you know, is your, is your, um, you know, like growing the sport, connecting maybe with other women who bow hunt, uh, families? Is there a particular um, kind of a long-term goal where you're like, hey, if it, in a perfect world, things fell into place for me, kind of how I envision this is what I would like to do? Um, I think I eventually in the long run would, you know, like a sponsorship, especially from maybe like a bow company, if I can get something started with PSE that that would be good. I would like to be an inspiration for other female hunters. Um, females and youth are the only two growing demographics right now in the hunting industry. And so that is something I'm very passionate about, uh, continuing to be an inspiration for women who are kind of, you know, on the fence about whether they want to do it. I know for me, um, Archery always seemed so intimidating. I always looked at it as like a man's thing. So I didn't know any women growing up that hunted with a bow. It was always something the guys did. And it was just in the back of my head. I could never do this. Like it was never even an option in my mind. And honestly, when I got that Instagram page and I was talking about seeing some of those women who were, you know, had all these followers and what they were posting, some of them were archery hunters. And I just thought, well, if, they can do it. I can surely do it. And that was part of what inspired me to go buy a bow. And I would like to be that inspiration for women who had those thoughts like I did. Yeah. And interestingly, one of the female bow hunters that probably has more social media followers than anyone is the woman that your bow is named after, right? <laughs> right. And, and, and so, yeah. so have you ever, just out of curiosity, since you started doing the hunting and you've gotten yourself, you know, out there on social media at this point, have you had opportunity either in person or just digitally to have any interaction with Eva over the years? Um, not in person, but I have, yeah, I have, she's actually reposted some of my stuff, some of my pictures and videos that I've done with her bow. And I've, uh, you know, reached out to her through Instagram telling her, you know, thank you for being an inspiration. I love your bow. I love shooting it and that type of thing. And, and, and she's responded back. So yeah, if, if there's even just, you know, one or two women that reach out to me that it can say, Hey, you inspired me to pick up a bow like that, that means the world to me. Like that's huge. Yeah, I'm sure every time that uh, 
you log into your Instagram after Eva reposts one of your your posts, you, you noticed how how effective a means of communication that was to be on Eva's newsfeed, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'm actually that's a great way to build followers. I've gotten lucky enough to have some of the bigger pages reshare, and yeah, you definitely see the the benefits of that. <laughs> So, and I'm sure you've actually already had uh, women do what you just talked about, though. Like you said, you've got to have, um, you know, as you get close to 20,000 followers of your own here on Instagram, and I don't know how many you have on Facebook, but you've got to be at a point now where you are having people who are, you know, reaching out to you uh, fairly regularly. I'm sure it's not just women either, um, but who are, you know, inspired by what you're doing and and are tuned in. And it's kind of... It's kind of, you know, got to be gratifying for you to see that. Yeah, I do have, I have had a lot of women. I have a lot of men that reach out asking about stuff for their wives, which is awesome because they don't really have any other resources because maybe the only other, you know, bow hunters they know are other men. So I think they look at me as a resource of if they want to get their wife into it, you know, they can ask me questions. So yeah, it's very gratifying. I honestly wish that I had more time, which I will in the future, but just with right now with my husband being gone as much as he is, um, to maybe put on classes, you know, or do some instructional type stuff. There's a a local archery range that I'm a member at that has been asking me to be an instructor because right now they only have a male instructor. And he has said, you know, there are a lot of women that just would be more receptive if they were getting instruction from another woman, hands down. So in in the future, that's definitely something I want to strive towards is putting on, you know, seminars or something along those lines that women can come pick up a bow and, and learn. Yeah, and I know that you've been, you know, not only doing a lot of practice on your own, but I think you actually mentioned his name earlier uh, but you work with a, a an archery coach. And I know that one thing we had mentioned before we started the show today, you had wanted to share a little bit about your shot routine and some of the things maybe that you've been learning and working on that have been helpful to you in becoming a better archer that perhaps could be helpful to others as well. Yeah. Um, Joel Turner is his name and he is the founder of shot IQ. And so basically how it started for me is when I was shooting, you know, I have all these people that instantly wanted to help me, like all these experts to come and try to critique my form and you need to do it this way, you need to do it that way. And it was so overwhelming. And some of it was good advice and some of it was not so good advice. And when you're new at something and it's so overwhelming, it's hard to filter through, you know, everyone's advice is coming at you from every angle. So in the beginning, um, it was, everyone trying to perfect my physical form. It was all about, you know, how high my elbow was and how my stance was and my grip and all this. And and so that, that was overwhelming for me. It would have been nice if I just had one person I could go to that I could trust. So um, over time, my form got, my physical form got very well, but I, I got it down pretty good. And I was shooting accurately pretty consistently, but I was still having days where I would shoot really well. And then the next day I would shoot terrible. And I was just banging my head against the wall. Like, what's the difference? Like, what am I doing differently from day to day? My form is consistent. My form is not changing. It's not my equipment. There's something that's making it so that I'm not shooting the same every day. And I noticed that when I was always at full draw, I had all these things going through my head. Everyone does. Everyone thinks different things in their head. I didn't ever want to ask anyone like, Hey, what do you think about when you're at full draw? I felt like that was a weird question that people would just be like, yeah, you're overcomplicating this. So I never <laughs> well, really what, brought what you, it up to anyone. Yeah. What do you think about when you close your eyes at night and go to sleep? Tell me. <laughs> <laughs> like typical woman, you're overcomplicating things. So I never brought it up, but so then I, um, Joel Turner, he's um, in Eatonville. He's in the town that I grew up in. And like I said, he's the founder of Shot IQ and his whole side of everything with your shot process is all the mental side of it. So nothing to do with the physical form. It's what you think about in your head 
when you're getting ready to do your shot and it's called controlled process shooting. So as soon as I went to him and he put me through his little three hour course at his house, it was like this light bulb went off and it was like, okay, this is what I was missing. This is why I wasn't consistent. I had my physical form. I didn't have my mental form. So, um, yeah, his course is something that I would recommend if you are a new archer or if you have been shooting for 30 years because it is, it's based on science. He's, he's put a lot of time into it, and it, it's life-changing. It, it basically, for anyone that experiences target panic, it will 100% eliminate target panic if you're able to, to do it and, and stick with it with his methods. Well, I think you just gave me uh, a guest for one of my future episodes of the podcast. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to hit him up and, and see if I could get him to come talk to us about that because I think we could get a whole show just off of that because you know as well as I do that when you're in the archery world, um, one question that you're gonna get a lot is has to do with target panic and as somebody who, you know had dealt with that in a severe way, you know, in the past myself, I can tell you that's not a fun place to be. So, um, for sure, for sure, we're going to, we're going to, uh, go down that rabbit trail. Um, but I don't think we have time to do it today. Cause I know I only have about 10 minutes left with you and then you've got to go get back to your day job. So I've got to make the most of the time that I have left. And there is, yeah, one I will, I'll let, I'll let Joel explain his course. He'll, he'll get on to a podcast <laughs> with you. I don't want to mess up. <laughs> anything tell um, there is one thing that I wanted to ask you about that we haven't talked about yet. And that was kind of a cool project that you were involved with on the film side of things here I guess last year although it probably debuted here just earlier this year and, and you had uh, a film in the Badlands Film Festival which I think debuted at the ATA show is that right? It did yes so every year the Badlands company um, it basically in December they start taking submissions from amateur filmmakers for either a short film which has to be under four minutes or a featured film, which has to be under 10 minutes. And then they, I'm sure they get tons of, um, tons of entries for that. They go through and do like a preliminary selection and they select five to six short films and about, I think eight feature films. And then those are the ones that get shown during the ATA show. So one night, you know, it's like a three hour deal where they show those films and then the audience gets to vote on their favorite. So what was your film about? So my film was um, called Worlds Apart, and it was for the short film category. And it was showing my husband and I, who my husband was deployed for almost all of 2019. So it was basically panning back and forth, showing what he's doing over on his deployment right now. And then what I'm doing over here hunting. And it, it was a feature of my elk hunt, of my archery elk hunt. So it would kind of show, you know, me putting on my gear, my camo, you know, getting ready to go out, grabbing my bow, going out hunting. And it would pan over to him getting ready to go out on a mission, you know, putting his gear on, getting his weapons ready. And so it was just a back and forth of showing our, our two lives, basically. That sounds really interesting. So for those of us who didn't make it to the film festival, is there another way that we can see the film? Yeah, so if you visit my Instagram page, it is on there. And then also, I just joined with like a little partnership with Basemap. And through that partnership, they kind of announced um, me as a new ambassador by putting their putting that film on their YouTube channel. So you can either watch it off the <clears throat> Basemap YouTube channel, or you can watch it on my Instagram. And then eventually, Badlands will release a YouTube video that has all the films from the festival. And I think that usually happens mid February. So if you subscribe to the Badlands YouTube channel, you'll eventually see it on there. Well, I'm definitely going to make a point to watch that. It's like you said, is it, was it, it was one of the feature films. So it's like 10 minutes long. It was one of the short films. So it was a shorter one. We were pretty limited on how much production we could do and how much we could show um, with him being over there and, and what he does kind of being 
you know, sensitive or classified. So we kept it as a short film, but I think, I think we did a good job at, at telling the story in, in under the four minutes that we had to do it. So just kind of wanted to give people a glimpse into our lives of, you know, him being gone most of the time on deployment, serving our country. And then me, you know, on the home front here, still doing my thing and going hunting. Well, I'm definitely going to check it out, especially now that I know it. I don't even have to devote 10 minutes to it, only four minutes. I mean, every, <laughs> right. everybody's got four minutes they can spare. I mean, <laughs> you know, we're wasting way more than that every day on our phones, you know. Yeah. And, uh, so everybody get over there to uh, the Base Map uh, YouTube page or you know, better yet, get on. I'm going to give you that like the third shameless plug of the day for Sarah Stover Gamash. It's PNW underscore Huntress on Instagram. You need to follow her. And um, then uh, she'll, she'll maybe give me a shameless plug and say, everyone go check out Seabird Bowhunt or Peterson's Bowhunting. And we'll have this, <laughs> I will do that we'll have this vicious circle of like massive followers moving back and forth. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be awesome. Well, um, I'll tell you I'll tell you what. I know that you have a limited time today, so I really appreciate you, you know, making this uh, you know, almost an hour to talk about bow hunting and uh, give me and all of our listeners an opportunity to get to know you a little bit. It really is an awesome world. Social media has democratized, you know, every walk of life and hunting is no exception. And people who, you know, have a passion for this and a, a genuine commitment to it, which obviously you do. And that has come through in our conversation today. I'm impressed by, you know, how much you've accomplished in just a couple of years and and I won't be at all surprised to see that you, you know, continue on this path and accomplish a whole lot more in the years ahead. So uh, you and I, I'm sure, will be keeping in touch. And and uh, hopefully, like you said, at one point, whether it's um, a blacktail hunt or we meet up in a, in a hunting camp uh, somewhere in whitetail country or, or you know, on a safari in Africa, we'll, we'll get to share some stories around a campfire in person one day. And, and, and that would be a great time. That would be awesome. Yes. Thank you so much again for having me. I, I think it's awesome to have um, podcasts as a, an extra resource and source of information. Like we always talk about, going to social media for for inspiration but podcasts are equally as important and i hope that i've inspired someone or provided some type of good tidbit of information or if there's any females listening that have been you know on the fence about diving into the archery world you know you've got to go in and do it and it's definitely an adventure lifestyle change (laughs) and they and they all and they can all uh hit you up and, and let you know that you have that impact so Thanks again so much, and we'll talk again really soon. All right, thank you. Thank you for listening to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio, the official podcast of hardcore bowhunters. Pick up the latest issue of Peterson's Bowhunting on your local newsstand, or check us out on the web at bowhuntingmag.com.